0: That you were here. We are on part three, our final part of a series called "It's All Good." It's all good, but I do want to start with one thing. So, in the summer of 2018, we started brainstorming and praying as far as what is the mission of St. Mark Church. When we got the blessing from the bishop to to begin establishing or planting St. Mark Church, we said, "Okay, you know, what's the mission of this church? Like, what's our, our, our focus? We don't just want church just to be the sake of having another church." And that's it. Like, what's our vision or what's our mission for St. Mark Church? And we got together, and after so many different meetings and sessions and prayer, this was the final sentence that we constructed, and everything we do at St. Mark Church rotates around this mission statement. We exist to connect people to the fullness of life, found in Jesus Christ, following the ancient faith of the Orthodox Church. Everyone is looking for more out of life. But the beautiful thing, the part I love the most of what Jesus said, is that I have come to bring life and bring life to the fullest. So this is what Jesus came and declared 2,000 years ago. And this is what we want to embrace, that we want to embrace the fullness of life. Now, how do we know what this fullness of life is? We want to tap into the most organic version of who Jesus is, the first century version. So this is the be- beautiful thing of ancient Christianity As we look into and and embrace the fullness of life found in Jesus Christ following the ancient faith. So that was our mission statement. And then we wanted to construct various core values to capture various things of the church. So our first core value is come as you are. Come as you are. Because the reality of Jesus, people who are nothing like him were interested or at least curious about who he is. And this should be the the same for us. Even like people should be curious about how we live life. What's our value system? People should be interested in what our ethics are based off of. And this should allow them to pursue or at least be interested in who Jesus is because this is exactly what he did. I want now want to show the third core value, and then I'm going to jump back to the second core value. Our, our third core value is to become the light. We explain it this way. The call to carry the true light to our world applies to us just as much as it did to the early Christians. And we have been entrusted to continue to bring his light not only to our community, to our people, that we're nice and cozy, we know everything about our church, and we just stay in our own exclusive club, club but to our city of Atlanta. People should be like, oh, you know, are, are, you, are you from Sam Mark Church? We, we want them to be a little bit curious of who we are. We want to have a presence in the community in that sense and not just be exclusive. Our second core value is transcendent worship. Transcendent worship, a word you don't hear that often. This is how we explain this core value. Liturgical, which is communal. Communal and and personal worship points us to something so much bigger than ourselves. Our participation in the sacramental life is the foundation of our ancient faith and allows us to enter into a transformational life in Jesus. What I want to point out is the word transcendent. Now it's becoming more of a, of a it's it's the, it's the new N word, because it's very hippie, it's really cool. So that's like the N word. But I want to get why this this word captures the truth of ancient Christianity. Let's go with the definition first of what's transcendent mean. Beyond or above the range of normal or merely physical human Experience beyond or above the range of normal or merely physical human experience. We're not coming together to just sing songs for the sake of singing songs. We're not just looking at a screen to, to, to sing this hymn for the sake of singing hymns. We don't kneel down or we don't do the sign of the cross just for the sake of doing the, the sign of the cross. We are tapping ourselves, We are transcending what's ordinary. We're transcending time. And and sitting at the Last Supper, we are participating in the mystical supper that Jesus established. So, what seems ordinary to our logic and what seems seems ordinary to our senses, the reality we are past that dimension. That worship is not just what we what seems merely just meeting in a room. Okay, we're meeting in a Jewish center, we're just singing songs. Is that what? Yeah, that's what we see physically, but it goes way beyond that because who we're trying to pursue is even beyond what's visible, beyond my logic. It transcends that. We use our senses. We use music to point us to something some, or someone so much bigger than ourselves. If we look at Christianity in, in America as a whole, regardless of, of tradition, this is just my opinion. I feel like we've belittled Christianity. We've brought it down. You just need to have faith. And we just bring it down to like that one-liner sense. We've taken away music. We've taken away art, we've taken away philosophy, we've taken away intellect, we've taken away psychology from the beauty and richness and depth of what Christianity is. And we've brought it just down to just, you know, songs and and a sermon, and that's it. We've brought it down just to bare bones, but the reality, it is so deep in so many different ways, from, from art, from music to philosophy. There's so much to it, but we kind of remove all of that, and we've kind of belittled it down. And for many churches, maybe it's all about just bringing it down to prosperity. And maybe for some of us, regardless this is regardless of denomination, or regardless of, of your tradition of Christianity, maybe we've, we've brought it down to prosperity. Well, you know, if I, if I come and do this, then if I, if I come to church, if I have communion, if I come to liturgy, if I come to the A, then God's going to help me, you know, go through this. It's going to help me with this issue that I have this week. Or it's going to help me with my sickness. It's going to help me with this problem I have in my family. And we brought it down to that. Or we stick to it. And we stick to church out of fear well if, you know I've kind of been doing this for a while now but I feel like if I don't come like I feel like something bad's going to happen we kind of belittle god we belittle christianity to some some to some algebra formula so if i do x then god's going to definitely do y in my life and we bring it down to there either because of us pursuing something that we want from god or just out of fear if i don't go then something then this is not going to happen to me we reduce it to what's in it for me What's in it for me? That's our pursuit. What's in it for me? From a very consumeristic mentality. It's not good news. It's pick and choose good news. When we come and pursue the good news, it's pick and choose good news. Let me lower it down a little bit. The good news that we look at is not about is not embracing the fullness of, of the good news. It's pick and choose. We pick what's good for us, and we take away the bad. We looked at the past couple of weeks, this phrase. Is it true? Many people say, is Christianity true? Like, how do I know it's true? And I say, the, are, not a Christianity. People say, is the Bible true? How do I know if the Bible's true? And that shouldn't be our central question, if the, if the Bible's true, because I've mentioned this before. Christianity is so much bigger than just the Bible. I want to show something but believe me, this is true, and you can look this up on your own. Christianity has existed way before the Bible existed. Because people came together wanting to pursue God together. And it was not centered around just the Bible. Of course, the Bible is an integral part to us pursuing God. But it's way beyond that as well. I'll give you one example. In this art form of Christianity, which we know as iconography, iconography, which is the study of icons, this icon depicts so much divine truth in one icon. But a lot of what we see in this icon seems kind of foreign to us. You know, we see, like, a couple of women sitting on, the, on the, the bottom right corner. You know, we see, like, you know, two men talking on the bottom left corner. We see a cave of where Jesus is. You know, we see, you know, a, a, an oxen and an ass in, inside the cave. Like, we see, like, there's a lot of different things going on. And we're probably thinking, where in the world is this in the Bible? A lot of what we get from the Christmas narrative is not from the Bible. And it it's coming from a manuscript of early Christianity called the Proto-Evangelion of James. Which is the Greek word... So it's, it's, a, it's an early manuscript. It's not a canonical gospel. It is not a There's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But this is an early Christian manuscript that depicts details of, of, the, of the Christmas story. And this is where we get a lot of richness and beauty and depth and art for us understanding of what Christmas is all about. So the question should it be, is, is the Bible true would say, yes, it is true, but that's a different conversation for another time. But it's bigger than that. There are tons of other manuscripts written by skeptics that are first eyewitnesses of them experiencing the birth of Jesus and, and, and their life with Jesus. And we and we lean on that um, in ancient Christianity. But the question should be, is it good? This should be the question. Regardless if it's true or not, that's one question for, for that's a different conversation. But take a step back and ask, is it even any good? You know, before we move forward, I want to just point out a couple of cool things about this icon. So, a lot of icons, a lot of Orthodox icons, will depict Jesus like in a cave. And this is coming from a first century Christian named Justin the Martyr. And he depicts or he meditates on Jesus being in a cave, coming, him being light within darkness. And he gives that meditation. That that Jesus is light, but he's coming from darkness to give light to everything. So if you see from this icon, he is the centerpiece of the icon, and from it you see light being radiated from it. And you see on the bottom right, you see a a couple of women, they're washing uh, Jesus, giving him a bath. So this is a midwife, and one of them uh, goes by the name of Salome. Salome, and her name is Salome. So these these are coming from early ancient uh, manuscripts, uh, and one of them is called the Proto-Evangelion of James, which is a manuscript that we lean on in ancient Christianity where we get many of our hymns or even our theology of what happened at the Christmas story. So, yeah, I just wanted to kind of put that out. But the question should be, is it good? Is Christianity even good? Like, let's pause. Maybe I don't know if it's true or not. Let's put that to the side. Is it good? Because we all want good news in our life. When we see that this pill is going to help me with this, or if I go to this, you know, if I do this class, everything, like, we we always want good news. We lean toward good news. That's just how we're wired. We want good news. When we see that article or we see this thing, it's clickbait. We want to click on it because we want good news, because we all naturally lean toward good news. This is why the authors of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they describe the gospel being good news, great joy for all people. These are four gentlemen that described Jesus, and they described the narrative of their experience with Jesus. They described it in all the same way, being good news, great joy for all people. And the label that was given for those four records were not just the Bible, but they used the word Evangelion, which means good news. Because they understood that this is a completely radical value system that they experienced, and they wanted to capture that. and and, and have it down on paper for other generations. And they said, this is good news that transcends everything that we know, that this is a brand new world and new value system that Jesus came to establish, and this is good news regardless of race, culture, or background. That, that, That surpasses all of that, and they wanted to capture that. Matthew, who didn't have the greatest background, was a first eyewitness and articulated and wrote down his experience with Jesus. Mark, who was a close friend of Peter, who was a first eyewitness, wrote down everything that he experienced. And Mark also then was on, sent on a mission to bring the good news to Egypt. And this is why our patron saint of this church, of this parish, is called St. Mark. We have Matthew, we have Mark. Luke, Luke, who was a physician who did comprehensive, thorough research on looking into the story of Jesus, wrote down his record. And we have John, who was a very young first eyewitness. And he had a very unique completely different style of him capturing his first eye experience with Jesus. When Jesus was with his disciples, he would ask them, or he would tell them, this is what will define you. What will define you is not that you know all the doctrine and all the theology of who I am, even though that is important. What will define you is how you behave outside, how you extend love unconditionally, to that annoying person, to that hard situation. This is how people will know you. This is how people will know me as far as how you extend that. So he wasn't putting in the weight as far as what you know or don't know. He was saying people will know you. People will know me by how you treat and act as others. So the question is, are we good news? There is an integral passage, a sermon that Jesus gave, which is an integral part to ancient Christianity. And we recite this passage every Sunday or even every day in our common prayer book. And we say this. Sorry, are you good news? Jesus says this. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Like he's trying to, 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 to paint the picture for them. Like a town that's built on a hill... you can't hide it. If if I'm building a whole city on top of a a, a hill, I can't hide it. Because it's so prevalent, I, I can't hide it. There's nothing I can do. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Like, no one lights a lamp and says, okay, that's a nice lamp, you know, let me hide it under here. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, they put it on a table, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is empowering them. He's saying you are called to be a light and you are called to extend that light to others because your deeds is a reflection of my deeds. Your deeds are a reflection of who I am. The light that you you shine forth in your marriage, in your relationships, at work, in your social life. On Friday nights, that light that you shine in those situations is a reflection of me. Because our job is to be an icon of the good news. We are called to be an icon of the good news. Before there was time when God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit wanted to create such an amazing creation, and the pinnacle of creation was man, and he said, I, we will create you in our image. In our likeness. And the word image, the original Greek, is icon, where God, the Holy Trinity, said, We will create you in our icon, as an icon of us, that you will be a visible image, an icon of who we are as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The word icon is this a sign, a representation that stands for its object by virtue. A sign or representation that stands for its object by virtue. Let's take this icon, for example. This is an icon that reflects virtue. This reflects a a woman who maybe didn't understand everything, but she leaned on toward God and put her trust in him, and she bore God in her. So this icon reflects the reality of who St. Mary is, and then I need to reflect that to myself. That this, As this icon reflects the divine truth, I need to apply that. That I need to bear the, the love of God within me, just as she bore Him. That I'm called to bear Jesus, just like she bore Him. So, and I'm called to apply that icon to my life. And this is why I, iconography, this is why icons are an integral part to Christianity. And like I, I know we're renting place to place, but I you know and I and I bother the deacon saying you know I want to put more icons. I know we're just going to pray here just for whatever day, but I so we have to carry our icons because that it's a, it's a visual. We are visual people. And we're wired to love art, we're wired to to embrace color, so I can use this and find edification in this icon. And then it also reminds me that I'm an icon as well. I mentioned this in the liturgy sermon that just as I would sense or honor an icon, I sense you because you are an icon as well. St. Paul was a great missionary and wrote more than half of the New Testament as he went all around the Mediterranean Rim, writing different letters to different regions. And he wrote this to the city of Philippi, and he said this to them. And just imagine, as we read this, put on the lens, what if what I'm about to read now from St. Paul characterizes everyone who says, I follow Jesus? Imagine, just imagine of what he's about to describe, what he wrote down 2,000 years ago. What if this really described everyone that says, I am a follower of Christ? Does this. Therefore, if any of you had Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. What is St. Paul saying? In a very blunt and real way, if you have benefited In any shape or form, if you have found peace, if you have found comfort, if you have found fulfillment by just taking a step toward God, if you have found joy by just pursuing Jesus, if you have found any consolation or or refreshment or or joy from pursuing God, if that has applied to you in in, in any part, you are called to extend that out to others. How can I live a life? The question that we should ask ourselves, how can I live a life? that is good, that people think the gospel is good? How can I live a life where people will be curious about the way I act, my value system, that they will be a little bit curious to know what is the good news all about, just by seeing me being an icon? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, esteem others, raise others up, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Imagine if this was applied to your work, for your boss to value others above himself or herself, not looking down, but always esteeming and raising others. What if this was the core of who we are as followers of Christ? What if this was the central piece of our value system, of esteeming others, of raising others up? Let's say we got the belief down. Let's say we say, yes, Jesus is the one I lean on. Jesus is where I get my ethics and my moral code from. Let's go with that. This is what St. Paul says next. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He's saying, put yourself in sync with who Jesus is. And then he says this Who, God, Jesus, being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made an human likeness. If you look in a physical Bible, not the Bible app, but if you look in a physical Bible, you will notice that this, this passage begins with this. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then you'll see it kind of indented to the right. And then its own little section of this part right here. And the reason why it's kind of like it's being, it's almost as if it's a quote, is St. Paul is quoting an early Christian hymn. He is quoting a hymn in his letter to the city of Philippi. So this is showing that St. Paul is writing down, a, this is an ancient Christian hymn. And actually, this part right here is embedded in our pre denominational faith. Like, we recite this passage every Good Friday. Every Good Friday, we read the same passage. This has existed for 2,000 years as Christians has come together. And this is also part of a, of a certain liturgy that we will celebrate tomorrow night as we celebrate Christmas or the Feast of Nativity. We recite this. We pray this because this is so deep and so ancient, these words that St. Paul is quoting. This existed. These words existed before St. Paul wrote it down on paper. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only just because I'm here, you obeyed me. Just because yeah, I'm saying you've always obeyed God. Not just because in my presence and you're trying to make, make me happy and do what I'm saying. There, tell my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to push forward. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He, he understands it's hard. It's hard to continue to lead not on my will but Thy will. He understands it's hard. He said continue to work through that, continue to push that, continue to extend love, continue to value others where it hurts. Continue to push love and honor and submission to others even though they are not receiving it or giving it back. Continue to work through that and continue to push toward God with fear and with trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and for him to act in you in order to fulfill his good purpose everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. You know what the blameless is? is that when I do something wrong I do something wrong to my wife that I jump and I say hey Sarah I'm I'm sorry for what I said or did the other day that I jump to her before she comes and blames me that I come and apologize before it even becomes a t- tension point in marriage. When I do something wrong to someone I say hey you know what I, I just want to apologize for what I said the other day, what I texted the other day, what I, what I, I shouldn't have done that. I just want to apologize. I don't, I don't want to be blamed. I don't want to be blamed for what I did. I want to jump to apologizing before it bounces back at me. This is what it means to be blameless and pure. Children of God, without fault, in a warped and crooked generation, we understand we are in a broken world, in a broken and dark generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. of good news. I want to give, I want to end with these two points. I'd love for us to put our focus on this. How can I be an icon? How can I be a reflection that when people see me, that when they see this, they're like, okay, this is kind of weird, but there must be some divine truth to this. I want people to see you and say, okay, there's something weird about that person for what he's eating, for the way he's acting, for what he's not saying, for what he does on Friday night. He looks, something's different about him. How to be an icon of good news. Two very simple, of course, this is a sermon within itself, but I want to, us to focus on two things. Apologize immediately. Apologize immediately. Okay, guys, I just want to say, I, 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 I've been a guy longer than I've been a priest, so I want to make this clear. <laughs> let's apologize. Let's apologize. Hey, I, I, I'm wrong for what I said. I, that's my bad. Let's let's step up, okay? Because, let's face it, like our, our, our ego... Man, I don't to apologize. I'm going to wait for her to, and we, you know, we, we turn the other way in the bed, and we run away. Whatever. Let's, not, let's, let's apologize immediately. Let's value. Let's esteem others around us. Apologize immediately. And defer habitually. It's a word you don't hear that much. Defer habitually. Like when you're talking to someone, but, but, hey, how are you doing? Put the focus on them. How are you feeling? Hey, how's that thing going to work? Put it on them. Put the spotlight on them. Value them. Esteem them. Put that be the central focus. You become an active listener and see how that other person is doing in front of you. Let that be the central focus. Defer habitually. Let's put that as our two focus on how we can be an icon. That somebody walks away from me saying, yeah, you know what? They, they really brought me up. They esteemed me because they really heard me out. They were an active listener with their, with their eyes and their ears. Defer habitually. Let's apologize immediately. Guys and girls, and let's defer habitually. Let us be an icon of the good news. Because the good news, it's all good for all people. And it is all good for us as well. Let's stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, you know, and we know that there's always tension for us wanting to do what's best for us, while we're always thinking what's best for me. But, Lord, you have called us to, to a radical different mindset, a completely different value system, for us to honor and submit to the person in front of us, to value the other person in front of us. Lord, we know that our workplaces, our, our relationships, our personal life would look complete, our country would look differently if that was the centerpiece of how we are called to live. Lord, we want to take St. Paul's words and make it a reality in our life for us to value the person in front of us because you have set that path in front of us. You have made that super clear through your son, Jesus, that he gave himself up for the life of the world and we are called to give up of ourselves and to be an icon of you. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one in Christ Jesus our Lord. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you guys. Just a friendly reminder tomorrow night is when we celebrate the, the, the feast of